Welcome to the UDIA Queensland's Development Drum Podcast, where we speak to members and ask them to share some property industry insights and at the same time, get to know our industry colleagues a little better. My guest today is Leah Lang. Leah is an experienced strategic design advisor, an award-winning registered architect, fellow of the Institute of Architects and the current Queensland Government Architect. She's currently advising government on housing, Olympics, health and planning policy and projects. With over 25 years of experience, Leah's leadership and expertise is utilised through appointments to multiple design boards, panels and juries. She leverages all these roles to advocate and facilitate high quality, people and place responsive design and heritage outcomes for Queensland. In her spare time, of which she doesn't have much, she loves going to the beach with her kids, wine, and also catching up with friends or motorbike rides through the hinterland with her husband. Thanks so much for joining us today, Leah. Now, Leah, you've been at the forefront of design conversations for over two decades. Hard to imagine. Must have been a child prodigy based on the couple of decades. Are we getting it right in a design sense? What do we need to really focus on? You're very funny, apart from getting flashbacks now of Doogie Hauser yes. in an architectural it, sense. It I'm, was you, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. <laughs> um, look, great question. I'd like to think it's about awareness. I think we've been doing things better as yep. we learn more, learn more about our resources and the finite sort of capacity of them, learning about densification and yes. how we live in an urban sense. I just think the awareness of what people value when they're living in a home or mm. a unit or being in a great space I get a bit worried that unless we're advocating consistently that there's a lack of respective understanding about design, mm-hmm. that it's not just a, a thing that's gold-plated or yep. a tack-on or an add-on. It's actually a well-resolved process yep. that equals an outcome that's fit for purpose. How important is design in the current context? Because I know you know we have these discussions about the integration of new development, new housing and existing neighbourhoods and we seem to always default to this position of it's really difficult and the community often pushes back. Based on our research, though, design is a critical component of really cracking that nut and having a mature conversation with the community. So in your view, how important is design in that sort of next stage of our city, our region, our state's evolution? Look, again, I think it's important because it's this process of thinking something through. So if you design something, you're usually tackling a problem to create a new outcome. Yes. And if you understand the essence of the problem that you're trying to solve, including the context in which you're about to embed or input something new into, you're going to be a lot more respectful and sensitive to what's around it. So by understanding whether it's country or place Mm. and then the human who's going to end up living in it, you put all of those pieces together in an iterative process and you will then manage to hit all of those right markers, whether, you know, considered character, landscape, all of those values are a set of principles that you will then design an outcome based on. And that's what I think we've been missing is Mm. you can't be what you can't see, but you also can't love what you don't understand. Or if we're not providing that product and product has been or neighbourhoods are getting eroded from the things people love, they are going to be concerned and protective Mm. of them. So Mm. I think if we can take people a little bit step by step through the process of understanding that, but less fear, because the fear is also the problem. So Mm -hmm. again, it's that advocacy and education to sort of hold people's hands through that process. And we've got to show them examples, I think, where it has been done well and going by our most recent discussion to pitches, haven't we? Absolutely. 
the more we could get people through good quality product, mm. opening it up. So things like the open house movement, yes. getting people to see different typologies of how they could live. When you actually start to strip down the essence of home and what people value, if they could see that the third car garage, I mean, the fact we've been validating that more than passive yes. louvers and ventilation, yeah. if they understood that was a $40,000 cost, mm. passive ventilation and louvers actually might be a couple of thousand dollars, but save you long-term running costs. Yeah. We just haven't been having these discussions properly. Yeah. And it's the biggest investment people will make. So no wonder when they're not understanding, they're nervous about what's happening around them because they've also invested in their primary yes. asset, probably yes. the most money they'll ever put into anything. Yep. I do find it fascinating that people are willing to not go to architects with their primary investment mm. that their whole life is around and that will value up. It does perplex me that we spend so much more effort in what we hold in our hand, yes. which has been meticulously designed. And yet yeah. what we live in for our health and well-being and our financial investment, we're so much more lapsed to just take whatever. Yeah, go with the flow. Now, design is such a broad term. Which aspects of design are you particularly passionate about? Again, I think it is that doing the process well. It's a collaborative process. I don't think there's very many issues at the moment that are so simplified that it's a one-person task. So I love that idea of getting the right people around the table, mm. really fleshing something out. It's hard and it, there's not an easy answer and you're probably arguing about priorities and what's more important than something else. But then it, to get the success of an outcome at the end, there is just something about creating something new that never existed before based on a a set of good values. Is, yes. It is very powerful. And I think that's why a lot of architects sort of commit their whole careers to doing that because that idea of of creating something new to solve something that was problem before is quite addictive. <laughs> Does the power and the passion come from seeing how that process has translated to something on the ground? Is that when you have that moment of, wow, this has really worked? Yeah, I think it is to see, I mean, I don't make as much as I used to, obviously, but to come in and, mm. and make a home for a family and then go back and see them actually yeah. engaging in that space and what it's done for their life and or a great public space yes. or a civic building like an art gallery and you just see it's redefined, mm. you know, a city, it's now an icon, it's so well used, it's a platform for new artists or whatever is the mechanism. It's really, the built environment is such a positive and powerful thing if it's done yes, well. Yeah. And I guess we all know it can be the opposite if it's not done well as too. Yeah, absolutely. Now, looking back on your career, firstly, did you always want to be an architect? Yes. You did. I'm one of those nerdy, yeah. yeah so I, you were good at drawing. I worked out at a very early age. It was, oh, I would love architecture, but architecture would not love me. I used to cut out all of the boys' town little like plans yes. from the paper and yes. I had a little scrapbook and I'd put them in and then put ideas and I'd mark up what was my room and my brother would always have like the smallest room. I think our dog had a bigger room than he did. <laughs> the smallest room yeah. or the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. <is that> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I've always loved just the idea of creating spaces, whether it was outside, we lived on acreage and just yeah. making tree houses or hiding in spaces. I've always just been fascinated about the different way you can feel in different yeah. certain spaces. So yeah. it's always translated. My dad was in surveying and town planning. So okay. it was, I also had a bit of that rhetoric in the background. Yes. But I guess I just, I honestly believe that good design's for everybody. Yeah. I've always wanted to bring design to the masses, whether it's, you know, like Frank Lloyd Wright's Usonian House or yes. Robin Boyd with the small house program. I just think 
if people could all have access to really well-designed homes, their lives would be better. I think you and I always have discussed it. It it is a human right to have good shelter over someone's head and what that can lead and leverage them and give the community. Like it's, it just is the springboard for everything, I think. And looking back on your career, so those couple of decades, what's the thing that you reflect on as being most proud of? UDIA involvement, number one of those. Yeah, Maybe look, go to number abs- two. What's, abs- what's okay, number two? We'll start from two, two, exactly. I've got to keep it to the membership here. So, uh, <laughs> um, again, probably, I've probably found less satisfaction in the unlimited budget, large-scale homes. Yes, okay, interesting. That's, whilst it's fun, Yes. I probably, and similar to a lot of architects, prefer the boundaries and the constraints that okay. make you work harder. Yep, makes um, sense. So I think when we've done the social sort of component yes. or affordable, even when I've worked with volume builders and tried to kind of educate and, and just push them that little bit harder, yes. but using their really yeah. well-crafted skills in building and supply chains. And so everything they do right and then bringing that yeah. sense of design that they probably hadn't really interrogated previously. So that's a magic amount. It's, it's never like I said before, like never like everyone, one person's got all the answers. It's yes. always now about how do you merge the two, the maker and and the ideas or the yes. design. And that's probably been the best, I think. I do love the civic work too. So mm-hmm. obviously doing some of the um, gallery and yes. and large sort of community precinct hubs that you just know is are so valuable yes. um, as an asset to the community. They're really good too. Is there a project that sticks in your mind? Um, weirdly, now that I do say all of those things, and then now that I'm in policy, the idea that I can assist in creating a broad and functional set of rules so other architects can bring their best. Yep is really exciting. Yeah. Uh, just on that scale and capacity of where finding things prohibitive now that yes. I might be able to help to release some of those levers and, and provide them a canvas to do their best works to get that out there. Yeah. And I think the role that you can play there to almost to provide assurance to a range of stakeholders, there are some people that are genuinely looking for a guiding light or a pathway to deliver good design. And of course, there's a range of stakeholders too that are on the administration side as well that are also looking for that level of guidance. So that's a pretty powerful role that you have. Yes. No pressure. I know, no <laughs> pressure at all. And I guess as I've worked through my career, whether it's been academia or private practice or local government and now state government, they've all got different requirements, Mm. different parameters around in which you can perform. It still depends on the person. And I guess you have to take your own personal skill set to these jobs. But I've learned a lot. And I guess I just keep putting it in my toolkit to soak in what I can and listen and then bring those lessons to the next role and and whether now it's, you know, exacerbated where it's sort of across Mm. the state and and you realise how intensely sort of civic our centres are but had to centralise the state is and so one size fits all is not possible Um, and and that's a real challenge. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that fundamentally the principle can't be the same but you know four climatic zones and 77 local government areas it's a big task and and we've got to consider all of the challenges Mm -hmm. and opportunities that lie in all those areas. So Yeah absolutely. Now you have a track record for uniting disparate stakeholders. What's your secret to success? It sounds corny, but a common purpose. I think if you can get everyone around the table to understand why they're there and when things are quite complex and there's a lot of perpetual momentum Mm. around things, it can be hard. Sometimes you'll realise quite early on that people aren't there for the same reasons and that can be problematic. So I think good communicating, listening, a bit of sense of humour sometimes helps because honestly, like, you know, we're not 
saving lives per se. Mm. It's important, but you've got to put it in perspective. And once you can get that and that sort of more pragmatic approach where I take it always that people are there for the right reasons too. I think any assumption that people are there trying to undermine you is just, you start playing those sorts of games. I've never really been one for those. So we just keep reiterating and again, just writing here's our purpose, this is what we sort of call, consider, and work out what parts are kind of a bit more fluid than others. We generally get there, yeah. (laughs) And lots of talking. I think you have to, isn't it? I mean, it does does concern me sort of how many meetings and things we're we're in. I don't think that's what I ever envisaged the life of an architect would be, but I think that's just the way we are. And if you don't and don't bring the stakeholders along, there just ends up being potential issues down the track. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, you touched too on the differences between some of the roles that you filled across your career. So, as you said, academia, local government, private practice, now in a state government role. What have you noticed as being some of the key differences between operating across those different sectors? Um, Definitely scale impacts the operations and the outcomes. So local government I loved because the tangible way you can make a difference on ground and certainly in the city I was born in and raised in and love to be able to, whether it's placemaking or or policy or civic projects, that was so meaningful to be able to see and engage directly in that. On the flip side of that, I also found it very reactive Mm. and very close to the ground. So for someone who prefers to sort of keep the eye on the prize, that was could be problematic. Yes. Just distracting. So Yes. But yeah, like everything, it has good and bads. And then state the capacity for significant change and Mm. meaningful change is there. And they're such intelligent people and it's a really smart, well-geared up sort of organisation, but it can be like walking through treacle because of the scale of it. And I think I've mentioned before just the understanding the machinery of government because I'm still new to it. I just, how can you be effective Mm. in a role that like mine is not particularly defined. There's a few chiefs that we laugh and we have a meeting together because we're kind of technical experts, which is also unusual in government, not of a bureaucratic or policy-based background. So you've come in and it's just where you fit and how you can add value. That's really, I guess, my intention of why I get up most days. Yes. (laughs) That's what we all hope for, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) Have you found that your level of expertise and input has changed? Obviously, you know, we're in the midst of a housing crisis. When you started in this role, it was probably bubbling away, but a little bit under the surface, but now is obviously very well covered media, a lot of discussions at all levels of government, really, because this is a national issue. Each state and territory is facing its own version of the housing crisis. But have you noticed that your role has changed or you've had to adapt, and I hate using this word, but pivot very quickly to looking at some different alternative solutions that you might not have been thinking of previously? Um, Yes, definitely. So when I came into the role, it was more for a strategic plan. We were looking at Olympics, you know, obviously that was sort of the goal. And I'm assuming from my appointment that that I might have the capacity to make it to the Games. So yes, okay, that's good. Housing was always on the agenda, would have always been. But within the first month, I had flood and the resilience pivot. So straight away, it was a guideline about how do we build resiliently um, and respond to climate. So that program of works went out and is still underway still in the back burner, obviously, looking at the Olympics Mm -hmm. and those sort of programmatic responses. But then the housing summit came where things had come to a head, as you you well know. So systemic issues in the construction industry about viability and now coming into supply chain, labour, 
and the fact that we've got a system that we can all say everyone deserves a house, but mm. our fundamental capitalists, that's how we invest and make our money too. Yes. So they don't all go together. No. And I think very quickly what people are realising is you pull one lever, there's a domino effect. I think we're at a point at the moment, which the summit was a great piece, getting the right people in a room mm. to start. There's probably about 50 things we've got to do. And yep. now it's about how do we do them in succession mm. or at the right time that doesn't lead to an adverse reaction. Mm. So we're trying modular construction. So we've looked at the program with QBuild about apprentice training um, so we can start to embed labour and, yeah. and a new sort of stream of labour coming into the market. We know that factory build encourages a more diverse workforce, mm. female, Indigenous, potentially even limited ability. Yes. And then a, a different Exciting way. Stuff, it is. It's, it's really, really good. Yes. And that's back to making. I mean, in the end, my colleague Peter Nelson and I, we just want to make stuff. So you can yes. get to a point in policy where you just like want to go and build something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so really, that's just a cover for yeah. us to do this. So we're partnering with manufacturers, with great residential architects. And that's what we see ourselves as almost that brokerage office or a facilitator yeah. to sort of bring these right people to push a product of can you modularize a good home, yes. break the stigma of what it has been in a transportable sense that it's a lesser yes. value. Yes. So we are really pushing this program now and hoping to get that as a, certainly as a regional response, a yes. very strong response for Queensland, and then move into an urban capacity when we can increase the densities, mm. which probably at the moment wouldn't compete with traditional build methodology. Yes. But okay. I think we all know one yep. solution. There's no one solution. It is no. absolutely multifaceted. So happy to be part of it. I think there's a definitely a lot more we can do in this space, but mm. there are some great people right on the track of doing it. It's just whether it can all be successful and timed at the right moment. I think it's incredibly important though, isn't it? I mean, the industry and the sector is ripe for disruption. And I think, unfortunately, as I always say, it's taken a crisis to bring those divergent groups, divergent views together to really try to work together towards some of these solutions. And to try to tackle some of the regulatory barriers to these, whether they're in a planning or construction or valuation or certifier perspective, it now is the time to be having these big discussions. Yeah, completely agree. I do think everyone seems very open at the moment, but as long as it doesn't turn into yeah, weaponising yep. a crisis, it should be making the most of it. And even like you and I have discussions about the community sentiment as yep. well. I think people are starting to realise this is not someone foreign or someone you don't know. Yeah. Most people yes. are in significant stress, whether it's mortgage or rental stress, and we've got to do better. Yeah. Like we've got to do something different. So hopefully everyone's understanding that it, everyone's going to have to give a bit yes. if we're to come out of this in a positive way. Yeah. Now, what's a typical day in the life of the state government architect look like? I believe it starts with a banana in the yes. car. Well, yes. Oh, bless. Because I, I was lucky. It was, at least it's healthy. I yeah, said healthy right. then. It was like not a cigarette and a can of that's beer. Right. Um, no, no judgment. <laughs> no judgment at all. No. Well, because I live on the Gold Coast still, so I commute up um, and the M1 is not pretty. Um, I will do once Cross River Rail opens. I absolutely will be yep. a um, definite beneficiary of that one. Yep. Look, I guess it's highly varied, which I love. Um, so I could be on like an MMC site, which we've got out at North Shore Hamilton in the morning and doing an inspection there to doing a DA trigger for a significant state development. Of course. Yep. Midday and then looking at the Olympic briefs and presenting the work on that. So I've got a very small team, but they're fantastic. We just sort of feed off each other, but very independent because we're just running quite large sort of yes. projects. So, yeah, we come back together to just make sure we've got a, a point of truth and some kind of airtime to just make sure we are doing the right thing. But, yeah, it's varied and I, I do love it. I, I get to meet great people and whether it's through peak body groups or 
community groups. We're going to be touring quite a few people through the little demonstration sort of a training center that we've got with the modular program just to really see how Mm -hmm. we can enhance those kind of sector relationships. And the motorcycle riding, does that normally happen on the weekend? I never would commute on the N1 in a mile. I think I already thought in a car I've reduced my life expectancy by 10 years. If I rode my bike, I would, no, or very recreational rider. And I classify myself as a competent rider, not an amazing rider. I won't be. That's that's several steps above me. (laughs) Yes. No, it's just a bit of freedom. I used to surf and I think as you hit 40, my centre of gravity has also shifted, which, you know, probably doesn't help on the bike either. but, (laughs) But yeah, I just think things just just to get out and realize you know we live in the best state the best country but the best state in the world and we're very very privileged and some people are not as Mm. so and some people are struggling and so if we can just keep that in mind and make sure that we're trying to equitize that I think it's a good thing. Now being a, a former resident of Union College does that also mean that you can drive a tractor? Oh, that's Tractor Factor. (laughs) That was, it was hilarious. So UQ residential colleges are usually only for very like remote and rural people, but because there was no train to the Gold Coast, shows how old I am now, um, it did commence literally six months after I started. Um, They counted Gold Coast as regional. So I, yeah, so So about six of us were in the Tractor Factor. It was lovely. James Burrell building as well. So, so I got some great architecture and some very happy that the campus stories stay on campus, on campus. and there was no social media because yeah. I probably would not be in this role if there was. I think it's best for everybody. <laughs> we often reflect on that, don't we? Yeah. Now, thinking ahead to the next decade, you've obviously talked about the Olympics, which does sort of often feature as, as front and centre. But beyond that, what are some of the conversations we need to be having now to ensure our state maintains its lifestyle and identity while it's growing? There's going to be a lot of complex discussions yeah. that are going to come out in the next sort of year, like we've got things that people want to put in boxes that one should be more important than another, yes. whether it's housing or health compared to the Olympics. Yes. And the I answer d- is all of it, isn't all of it? Them. We've got to work out a way for all of it to happen simultaneously. Exactly. So life's not that simple. No. You know, we all need jobs and an economy and all of these things work together to make the multifaceted society and complex cities that we live in. So it's not as easy as, yeah, completely debunking one to then prioritise another. Um, I think the thing we need to do is be thoughtful and kind in the next year about understanding that there are people doing their best. Mm. There are people that we need to absolutely scaffold and lift up. So that has to be the priority, but there are going to be other things that still are a means to an end to Mm. get that, whether Mm. it is someone working in a stadia, that will be built in the future yes. or whether it is people that are environmentally bringing us green steel products. Mm. or So there's so many facets of these things that we do. It's complex. I don't think there's anything more complex than earth and the, how a city runs with yes. all of its different utilities and connections and transport and, and living modes. So we've just got to realise that it's a fine balance. And if everyone can sort of come with positive thoughts and ideas mm. and, and stop, I'm sick of living in this perpetual stage of crisis. Yes. So everything's a crisis. We yes. can't maintain that it's people's capacity for then just defaulting into a stage of negativity and fear is Mm. really high and Mm. I think that's when things just start to crumble we are very lucky we are handling things quite well but yes we can always improve but I think it still has to be supportive and a supportive environment to do that not weaponizing things that are out of people's control and and maybe not that well thought through (laughs) Perspective is always important too, isn't it? Is there somewhere where we can look internationally 
that have tackled some of these challenges in the past and still come through? I mean, obviously there are examples of cities that have held games and face the sheer volume of skills and, and labour needed to be able to deliver housing simultaneously to Olympic priorities. But I'm sure there are some international cities that we can look to at this stage too. I think we do specifically for projects, but in its totality as an ecosystem of how things can be managed all at once, I probably think we could look into Mm. that a little bit more. As we mentioned, it's complex. It's not like it's almost sort of quantum physics because there's so many moving parts. It's not like you can, any one person could sit down and just program, Mm. manage the next 10 years, Mm. but we're going to have to sit down and try to tackle it. So I think individually, I see a lot of, whether it's health programs, doing a lot to sort of mitigate and work in their own system. Yes. But it's like you've said, it's that amalgamation of how do we do that across multiple. So like I said, the right people are are on the projects. I think we've got such a great skill set through industry in Queensland. We're very lucky. Uh, We don't need to look further afield, but I think you don't want to be too parochial either. You still need to look at lessons learned from either down south or internationally. So I think that's a great point to take on board. And lots of conversations to be had over the next decade and a bit, I'd suggest as well. Yeah, I think so. Like I said, I just hope people can come into them with a more positive sentiment than making an assumption that it's always going to be something that's problematic that will affect them negatively. It's not. And then I think we need to give the airspace to the people that are actually really finding things quite hard. We can just spend the time tackling those things first rather than people, like I said, just sort of using urban myths to kind of validate positions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been wonderful to chat to you, Leah. Thank you so much. It's a great conversation and I learned something. I definitely learned about the motorcycle riding. I'll teach you. Yes. I don't (laughs) know about this. I like basic coordination. It's a surprise to most people, but it's true. Um, But thank you so much for your time. And it's fantastic, certainly, to work with you in your current role, just as it has been in your previous roles as well. So we really really thank you for thank your you time. for having me and yeah the UDIA has always been a great part of my career too so I'm happy to be invited wonderful thank you Leah thanks thank you for listening to the UDIA Queensland's Development Drum podcast it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us remember to rate and review this show on your favorite podcast app while you're there please make sure you click subscribe so you don't miss an episode mm-hmm.